Welcome to another episode of Teaching Canada's History. I'm your host, Brooke Campbell, and in this special educator series, we're speaking with the finalists for the 2019 Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Created in 1996, the award recognizes best practices in teaching Canadian history and is an opportunity to highlight the important work that teachers and students are doing to interpret and share the stories of the past. Today, I'm really excited to be speaking with three of this year's finalists. We have with us Trevor Arndt, a high school history teacher at Huntsville High School in Huntsville, Ontario. Heather Jeffkins, a grades three to five teacher at Asijanik Public School in Manitoulin Island, Ontario. And Heidi Crowley, a grade seven to 12 teacher at Gray Academy in Winnipeg, Manitoba. So I think we should just jump on in. Thank you guys so much for joining us and speaking to me. Um, why don't you guys all introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about your school and the students that you teach. Uh, the name's Trevor Arndt. Um, like you said, I'm at Huntsville High School. I've been there for about the past 19 years or so. Um, Huntsville's located in Muskoka, cottage country, a couple hours north of Toronto. Uh, but uh, in addition to Canadian history, I teach ancient history, law, and philosophy at the senior levels. Um, I'm from Kitchener originally, but ended up north here. Uh, and uh, the school I work in has a pretty healthy Canadian World Studies department. Um, a lot of courses uh, with healthy enrollment at the senior level. So I think we're doing something right um, with the mandatory course they've got to take in grade 10. Um, very supportive of collaboration, team teaching, field trips, and experiential learning. I'm Heather Jeffkins. I teach at a Siganac Public School uh, on Manitoulin Island. I have taught every grade from grade two to grade eight. Um, and I'm actually a product of the Manitoulin Island school system. So I was born and raised here and came home to teach. Uh, I've been involved with all sorts of different history projects uh, over my career, trying to engage uh, my students with the community and with kind of the greater umbrella of Canadian history. Uh, Manitoulin Island is an island, clearly. We have summer access to Southern Ontario via the Chichimon Ferry, but our year-round access is a swing bridge that was built in 1913. So uh, we sort of live in a, in a historical community. My school is a small rural school. Children are bused there. Uh, it's a K-8 school, and we have about 120 students. I'm Heidi Crowley. I've taught for about 13 years in Winnipeg, Manitoba at the same school, Gray Academy. Uh, I teach every year grade 7 to 11 or grade 7 to 12, all the different courses for social studies, civics, geography. And the school is small, it's independent, it's a private school. And so our classes get to be about, you know, 20, 25 students. And so because of that, I think all three of us kind of have this ability and this beautiful chance to get to connect with our students and share our passion. Um, obviously in Winnipeg in 2019, we're celebrating a huge centennial of uh, the Winnipeg general strike and to try to share with the students how much all of these things still matter on a daily basis is a huge privilege. That's all great. Thank you, guys. Um, why don't you guys share with us then what you proposed uh, in your applications for the award as the projects that you guys have been doing? Uh, the project that I ended up submitting, uh, it's designed for those grade 10 history students who have to take that one and only mandatory history course that focuses on uh, 20th century 
Canadian history. And uh, the project I, uh, I've called the History Portfolio, um, whereby at the beginning of the course, students um, take on a character uh, from the past, a very specific character, just drawn out of hat so that they're their age, but the around there, but the year is 1900. And uh, it's a very interactive simulation that as the years go by, as the decades go by, as the events go by, um, they react and respond to these things that are happening uh, around them and uh, sort of exploring how it's affecting themselves, their families, their community, the country, uh, even the world sometimes. Um, it's, uh, a, there's a lot of suspense as some things are just determined by chance, um, but they have choice uh, as well for certain things. They could volunteer uh, to join the war, uh, the Great War. They can choose to invest in the stock market. They can choose to move to the city. Um, they uh, explore what the different uh, election platforms are um, whenever an election happens and, uh, and vote. And uh, we take up their votes as a class, and then we take a look at what the, the real uh, result was in the past. Um, and usually the results are actually pretty the same. They've got the same sort of sentiment as Canadians at the time, except 63. They all, they all vote for Tommy Douglas. But, um, uh, and, and other things are by chance, like uh, conscription and uh, losing someone to the Spanish flu or unemployment during the Depression. So... Uh, Good things can happen to them, bad things happen to them, and all the assignments are tied into this character. They're writing diaries, they're um, finding pictures from the time, and uh, sort of uh, finding their place in the narrative that is Canadian history. So they've got a long life, they end things. Ooh, well, they all gather on Parliament Hill as seniors in 82 for the patriation of the Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and they've They've gone through a lot over the decades, so it's a, a simulation, and it lasts the whole course. My project um, was with my grade three, four class, and it started out as sort of a, a single activity. Um, a master quilter lives in our community, and I invited her to come into my classroom to do some teaching about uh, how quilting has kind of transitioned from settlement days when it was more out of necessity to uh, modern quilting, which became an art form. And as sometimes happens when you're teaching uh students at least I always enjoy when it happens all of a sudden they start asking questions and the project moves from being something a one-off something simple to something much more complicated so we started out with quilting and they knew that I was uh, involved with weaving so they kind of asked me questions about weaving so I brought my loom in and I taught them how to weave and then they became more interested in uh, well how did the will be created uh, that I used for the weaving and those sorts of things. And I was involved with the Canadian Museum of History uh, as part of their teacher advisory group. So I put them on the learning platform and let them explore different sorts of bedding, for lack of a better word. And then they came up with all kinds of questions about embroidery. And their questions just kept building. And I started 
casting out into the community to see what connections uh, that I could make for people who would come into our classroom and teach us more. So I had a group of spinners and weavers come in. Um, one of our local uh, farmers heard about my project and he was willing to give us uh, a sheep fleece. So our culminating project at the end of the year was we actually took a raw, freshly shorn sheep fleece and the kids we washed it we dyed it we carded it we used a drop spindle to learn about spinning and through all of this we kind of um, discussed how we take clothing and bedding and all of those things for granted but that back in the settlement era those things were very time consuming to make and we talked about who made them and who had time for that and and all of those sorts of things and it really it was really guided by my students questions as we would explore one aspect of traditional fiber arts they had questions and we would do a little more investigating and then I would find somebody else within the community who was willing to come in and help us uh, and make those connections. And then they were able to go home to their families and ask questions and find out that some of their family members were involved uh, in traditional fiber arts or that things had been saved that their grandmas or their great grandmas or any number of family members had um, collected. So it was just, it was a project that built through, we started in January and we really didn't wrap it up till the last week of school in June. So my project was for my grade 11 Canadian history class. Um, and we live in a city and it's a lovely city, but I think a lot of us are guilty of living in bubbles, very prescribed routes to and from our daily lives. And I wanted to encourage the students to really celebrate the city around them and really see the monuments and memorials. So in teams, they were each given um, a topic, whether it was uh, Louis Riel and the Red River Resistance or women's suffrage, Holodomor, uh, World War I, the Winnipeg General Strike. And to go and find a monument in the city, visit it, see the messages I was trying to share with them today, explore what the actual issue was, what the events were, and then do further research as in who was the artist who made it, what was their lens, what was the time that this monument was built in, what was, how did they want to collectively remember this event, with the idea of looking at how do we as a city, how do we as a country decide what to remember, how to remember it, and how can we learn about history in general from what we edit to remember and to forget. And so that's what the students did. They went and they visited the monuments and then they came back to school with all the information and they built um, uh, large boards throughout the school and different kinds of interactive activities where they could teach passing students and ask them questions and engage them in different quick activities um, to kind of share what they had learned, but also press them into thinking critically about the monuments themselves or about the uh, issues of the time. How much did they know about the events? Why didn't they know about the event or what did they know? Was it as um, factual as they had hoped? All these kinds of things. And so it was for an, uh, an upper year, um, but because we have grade sevens to twelves moving through the same hallways, a lot of different grade levels got to have access to it and therefore have different reactions to it. Wow, those are some fantastic projects. Um, clearly, they would be very memorable for your students. And it's, it's interesting because obviously you guys all have different approaches and different 
topics and themes and ages, but something that I find that really threads throughout your projects is that they're all really student-driven and that you're getting your students to ask some really good and deep questions. So how do you encourage a classroom where that's okay and where students feel that they can take the lead? I think by saying you don't know the answer. Um, if we, if students ask a question, it's okay to say, I don't know, let's look that up. Um, and we use technology in my classroom all the time. My students are, I mean, they're digital natives. They understand how the technology works. And if I don't know the answer to something, I'll say, that's a great question. Why don't we look something up and work in pairs or, or any of those things? And I think we encourage uh, collaboration and we encourage inquiry um, by saying we don't know the answer. I think in addition to that, um, I think in recent years in education, sometimes we fall into a, uh, the pitfall of always putting the question back towards the student. And I think there's a fine balance. I know teachers are kind of constantly um, calibrating what that balance is, but sometimes also being an expert and being able to share what we do know in this one particular field or about this one particular moment in history. Sometimes I think we put it back onto the students of, well, what do you think it is? Or what could this be? When sometimes they just need to know when was this? How did that connect with this? And so I think having that balance of we're going to explore together. I have some information. You're going to find some information. We're going to weave it together and we're going to make inferences from it. We're going to make predictions from it. We're going to see were we right? Were we wrong as we go through history? But I think sometimes too, um, allowing for that um that sharing of, I have an expertise in this, you're going to research this, you're going to share it with me. I think that is a beautiful thing to have in a classroom of any level. For sure. If I could just add, I'm noticing a theme in, in all of our um, projects that it's, it's history is not about memorizing dates and learning names and so on, and just simply the chronology and making crazy lists of terms. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that um, the inquiry-based and problem-solving models that we all seem to be having here, they're not skimping on the content um, it, it itself, right? Um, we're actually digging deeper into the content, um, getting uh, more quality uh, out of uh, the past than just quantity, these dates and names. And uh, I like that none of us seem to be getting hung up on I don't think any of us have mentioned assessment, evaluation, administration, or checklists. Um, I, I can see that we're all treating the study of the past and the interpretation of the past and what we're doing in our class. Um, history is an art uh, rather than a science. I really like that. I think you guys are, are hitting the nail with the head that you can't really understand the context of history without the content, but you can't really truly understand the content either without the context. And I think that's really a key element of, of teaching history at uh, the level of which you guys are doing. Um, it makes me wonder how you truly engage your students in studying history. I know kids often like to write it off maybe as thinking it's boring, <laughs> but how do, you, how do you make it really relevant to them? I think, and I, I'm thinking that most of us agree that history by its very nature is relevant. It's the story of us. So I think students 
sometimes see the code on their schedule saying like history 40s or history 30s and think, oh goodness, I'm a science kid. And then they get into class and you suddenly start making connections to things that are part of their everyday lives. It's the name of the street that they live on. It's the school that they go to. It's the story that their grandpa told them. It's their very name. And as soon as you build on that, as soon as you start explaining not necessarily even new things, but things that they're surrounded by that they never actually saw in a historical context or understood the story behind it, then there's no effort involved in getting them engaged or hooking them because suddenly you're explaining their world, their reality. And no student is ever going to say, I don't want to understand my world more. I don't want to understand the reality I live in and the future I'm inheriting more. I would agree with that completely. I think we engage students regardless of age by making them feel like they are connecting to it on a very personal level. Um, My students, regardless of what grade level I've taught, um, as soon as they are presented with history is stories and they have stories that they can connect to those history stories with, all of a sudden they're willing to do that digging and they're willing to do the listening uh, to the stories and to do the thinking about why those stories, why are some stories saved and why are some stories not? Um, And the engagement piece, as soon as you make it personal, I agree. The engagement piece is right there. Yeah, I, uh, I totally uh, agree there. Um, With uh, my particular project, um, I try to make it personal in that they're taking on that persona. Um, I know, you know, you're, probably get it too. Like, a, you know, um, Brooke was saying there, you know, oh, why do I have to take this class? You know, it's just about old dead people. And, uh, but then when they, they do become that persona, they, I mean, they don't really face the discrimination like in real life, but they realize right off the bat that the, the ladies in the class, uh, sorry, there's an election coming up, but you can't quite vote right until 17 or 21 or uh, 40 in Quebec. Uh, provincial elections or First Nations till 1960, right? And oh, sorry, uh, you're of Japanese descent out west. Um, I don't care about your standing in the world. All your property and possessions have been confiscated and auctioned off, and your family's been placed in an internment camp. So it, it kind of does. Um, uh, they 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 do sort of see workers' rights. Um, improving over the decades. They see women's rights improving over the decades. Um, they, they become a little more invested in it. Um, and like, uh, well, your projects too, they're, they're sort of long-term, um, fun and full of surprises. And um, yeah, I think uh, it's got to be personal. Do you guys have any anecdotes or stories of the moments when it really clicks for your students and when they recognize that it's personal and that these are stories and all these threads that you're talking about? At the end of uh, the course, um, and it, it does become their final project where they do write a memoir about the most defining moments in Canadian history. Uh, and, and their experience tends to be um, reflective of the well, they're, they're, uh, they're affected like all Canadians to the different events. So their story is Canada's story. But uh, at the end, I also ask for a, a survey, a questionnaire. Um, did this activity help you learn more? Uh, did it make it more interesting? Blah, blah, blah. Did it make it more exciting? And um, 
what did you enjoy most about it? Give me feedback. What did you not like or whatever? Um, so there's a little testimony. Like, uh, I felt like I was there in the events. Like I was grow, uh, the guy's character and taking my chance in life. Um, he loved coming to class because of it. I liked how it made you feel more in history than just sheet work to see my father uh, die. Uh, and husband go to war. It made the class really amazing. It helped for someone who was a hands-on learner like me. Um, I think the thing that I liked most was the draws, those random dynamic events that can occur because it always got interesting because you never knew what was going to happen next. And I'll just this last one that we, we got to go through what other people had to go through and it really sticks with you. Anyway, and those are just some of the anecdotes that, that uh, came up. But I, I really think, and I love the way that um, you both are exploring the history that's in your areas, because there's a lot. I think we as Canadians, we tend to underrate our, uh, our history, uh, our innovations, um, our stories. Um, and even around here in Muskoka, we've got some really cool stories that, um, around here are even not very well known and, uh, the students really become engaged with it because it's so close to home. I think for my students, the hands-on activities we did, um, I would watch their eyes light up when they got, got a chance to use tools that were from another time. Um, the, the spinning and carding tools we used, um, they were hand carters and a drop spindle. And it, for some of them, it's like, this is so much work. I can't imagine doing enough of this to make enough yarn to make a pair of socks or, or any of those things. And, and also having them go home. Um, and I would make, I would have them write notes in their agendas, ask me about whatever, and it would be whatever topic we were covering, whether it was embroidery or quilting or whatever, and them going home to talk to their families about it. And they would come back sometimes the next day and say, oh, I talked in my grant, my mom said my grandma did this, or we're going to go to grandma's and look at the quilt or the bedspread or whatever, um, or my grandma knits, and they were making very personal connections. And then when we would talk about what it was like 200 years ago, they would say, I can't, I can't imagine how much work it would be. I would ha I wouldn't have all these clothes in my closet if it took this much work. Um, and it was like little light bulbs went off for them. And it was very exciting to watch them make those connections. As well, I think we tap into the, the power of artifact and story um, within history. So one of the things I do when I'm teaching my grade eights is when we're studying Rome, we're studying Rome in Canada, which obviously has a um, 152 year history, but obviously it predates that by a huge, huge thousands and thousands of years with the indigenous communities. And so I think sometimes because Canada in its early days was very, very efficient in trying to erase that history. Um, the idea of studying someone 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years old. So one of the things I do is I give the, um, the kids coins from Hadrian's Wall, ancient Roman coins, and they put them in their hands, no gloves, nothing, just skin to coin. Um, my aunt and uncle in England sent them to me um, just so the students could hold something 
um, that was um, that old from something that we were studying because there's something powerful about holding something and knowing that if you go back enough years and you go back far, far enough that someone in ancient Rome along Hadrian's Wall was worried about the Caledonians coming to attack and taking all their money. And so they buried it in their secret hiding place in the wall. And so those personal stories suddenly all become symbolized in this little coin where they're trying to see, you know, is that a horse? Is that a head? Um, These are kind of the moments in history class. And I think we can all speak to those moments where suddenly the students realize like, oh, that's why we have 60 minutes in an hour. That's why we call our school an academy. That's why when I'm watching uh, Childish Gambino, This is America, these are all the symbols he's using. If we not only look at the the foundation and bedrock of our culture, but also the pop culture and their own lives, then suddenly it becomes a really, really rich environment for them to explore and for them to really see how their own family stories are woven within a greater narrative. Yeah, that's really cool. You guys all seem to be really, really open to incorporating different strategies to get your students to be really invested in history. Um, And it makes me wonder, how did you get to that point? And would you have any advice for other teachers who want to be a little bit more um, open to trying other methods and strategies as well? If I was going to give a a new teacher advice or even uh, myself, if I was younger, I'd say look for community support. Um, Look for the people in your community who uh, know more than you have, special uh, artifacts or talents or knowledge that is different from your own and invite them into your classroom. Don't be afraid to kind of relinquish control of your lesson um, or your plan to someone else who is an expert. Um, I would say follow, follow the student's lead and explore with them. And you'll find the ties to the curriculum. You don't have to look at those curriculum documents and say, today I will do this, you can find ways to incorporate the curriculum uh, necessities and still create a very vibrant um, and engaging history program, uh, which is something I think that everyone I'm listening to is doing within their classroom, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think as well, um, not only building the the community uh, connections, which is huge, and I agree, um, but also building uh, inter-school connections. So not only with uh, people within the community, but also people at other schools, because as much as you think that you have, you know, reinvented the wheel and you are now on to something that no one has ever done before, chances are very, very good um, that someone has done it, can give you their expertise, their feedback, um, even some things that um, they've tried, you know, different versions of it. So that's wonderful. Um, My project um, for this particular um, piece came from doing an edX course over the summer, free course from Brown University uh, on the ethics of memory, and then uh, learning about Charlottesville and looking at memory and what does that mean. And so I think oftentimes when we put ourselves in the position of learners, then suddenly all of these new ideas and all of these new uh, inquiries and different ways of learning We get really, really inspired by them and we want to share them with our students. So making sure that we always find a time to put ourselves in the position of learner, not only for the new content, but also to remind ourselves how tough it is sometimes to be the learner. 
Um, I think when you go back to university or you take on a new challenge, you can be struck by how much there is coming at you and how many um, calls on your time and how fast paced and how frustrating at times. And that's a really good reminder for a teacher to have every once in a while when they're um, in the classroom. For sure. Uh, I'm just going to piggyback on uh, both your ideas there. Um, I think, uh, Heather, you, you were talking about um, uh, looking for experts uh, around you. You know, there's only a very, very, very small amount of stuff we, we all, all know. And, um, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the experiential approach. So um, I'm to uh, bringing in as many artifacts as I can, either from the, the Legion uh, when it comes to the war, I've got a, a pretty cool of uh, collection of artifacts, mostly replicas, but uh, from ancient history as well, um, so that they can get that hands-on learning and take a look at things and uh, try to glean from those uh, sources what they they actually mean. And uh, and I think uh, you know uh, when it comes to my law class, I could talk about lawmaking, or I can bring in our MP. The guy who actually does it and luckily um, our MP's been uh, more than happy to come in and talk about it for the last 13 years and hopefully the next one will too. Um, we uh, could read about case law and we do uh, but we visited the Supreme Court and met a Supreme Court judge there and uh, in my philosophy class I'm not a pro on Eastern philosophy so I bring in a Buddhist, a First Nation elder to speak on their experience about uh, her Anishinaabe culture in particular, or about the legacy of the residential schools, um, as opposed to a book, um, going out to museums and so on, uh, or bringing the experts here. And I think, um, Heidi, you were talking about um, uh, the need not to reinvent the wheel. And I just wanted to mention that, that this project that I submitted, I actually didn't uh, come up with originally. I just sort of took it to a new level. Um, and it was Peter Keir, a teacher who uh, I replaced when he retired a number of years ago, who came up with the idea of these dynamic situations that, um, that students would have to react to. But then I turned it into diaries. I attached all the assignments to it. It became a, I don't know, much, much uh, larger project, uh, all-encompassing project, basically the whole course. Thank you, guys. I think that's all fantastic advice, and I think that's the perfect spot to uh, end this podcast. Thank you so much for speaking with me and for sharing all of your insight and wisdom and telling us a little bit more about your projects. And I just wanted to say congratulations for being named finalists for this year's Governor General's History Award for Excellence in Teaching. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Teaching Canada's History podcast. If you're interested in learning more about the Governor General's History Awards, or you want to nominate an amazing history teacher in your community, please visit us online at canadashistory.ca slash awards.